0: hello this is meg nahara from episode 38 i just wanted to
1: let you guys know about a new podcast i've been able to release called unedited my personal journey has been marked by a lot of challenge but in the middle of it all god healed my heart through the simple discipline of daily bible reading and prayer we all live in the unedited version of real life and there is a god who wants to know us right there it is my greatest passion to help people connect
0: with god through his word and his presence you can find the unedited podcast
1: wherever you listen by searching unedited with Meg Nahera. I would absolutely love to have you join me for this journey.
2: Hello, Crucial Conversation listeners, pastors, youth pastors, leaders in your local church. My name is Corey Sanders, and I want to introduce you to God First Living. God First Living is a seminar that equips and teaches saints to balance business with blessings so they can succeed in both the secular and the spiritual to further the kingdom and be the best they can be in their local church. I have been a business owner since I have been 19 years of age, so 20 plus years of experience living the principles of God first living. My workshops and seminars are to educate believers on how to take a passion and turn it into a thriving business that blesses you personally and the kingdom. Learn how to build a successful business and to be productive and powerful in your local assembly by living a balanced life. I will give your church body attendees practical tools backed by biblical principles that have allowed my family to live in the abundant blessing. Our mission theme at our church apostolic center is give and go. Some people can give and some can go. I wanted to be able to do both. And because of these God first principles, I have the opportunity to go all over the country and all over the world in ministry. Because you can be successful in business and successful in the kingdom. It's learning how to balance and God first living principles will show you how. Anyone can do this. I only have an high school education, no business degrees, no businessman father that taught me the ropes, just a burden, started a business, learned to balance and living in blessing. This is for every saint or entrepreneur that wants to step into blessing and be blessed personally and bless their local assembly by giving and doing more in the kingdom of God. It's not just inspirational talk, but a testimony of a desire to be more in the kingdom and live in the overflow by building a thriving business, a fruitful ministry, and a balanced life. For more information, go to my website, GodFirstLiving.com. Once again, GodFirstLiving.com. And I'll end with this. I live by the words of my friend and late missionary, Brother Steve Willoughby, who's spoken to my life, If you take care of God's business, He will take care of yours. God First Living. God bless.
1: Hello, my fellow podcast listeners. It's Charity Sanders from Modest Direct here. I have been super excited to get a chance to connect with the Crucial Conversation listeners these past few months. ModestDirect.com specializes in women's clothing. I try to have a vast range of inventory that is changing and updating weekly. ModestDirect.com has a variety of styles we have the funery carpenter collection that has been a huge hit for those that love the trendy new look we have gorgeous dresses pencil skirts and unique tops that keep our customers coming back again and again we are a five-star google rated company yay modest direct customer service is my number one goal we don't have anything on our website over fifty dollars Modest Direct offers women's apparel in most styles from small to plus sizes. Follow us on Modest Direct on Instagram and like the Modest Direct Facebook page. I would just love to give you the opportunity to sign up for our email group at ModestDirect.com. We give exclusive chances to sales there and often release new inventory to the VIP email group first. 21 That's Crucial Conversation 21 coupon code for 10% off your entire order. ModestDirect.com can't wait to hear from you and help you with all your shopping needs. I think it's crucial that you visit ModestDirect.com and we have a great conversation about all the modest clothing that you are going to love. God bless you.
3: If you are like every other church in America, along with First Apostolic Church, we have discovered that we are in need of tools. We're in need of processes, we're in need of systems, and probably most of all, tracking when it comes to making disciples. When you join the movement, when you're a part of the disciple-making movement, um, you're gonna come to a conference that's gonna give you all of those things. As a matter of fact, we're bringing in Pastor Timothy Lee all the way from Singapore. If you've not heard of him, I want you to know, uh, he and a great team, uh, they are developing all these different programs, all these different systems. They have made tools and they're gonna make them available at the Movement Conference. You do not wanna miss these things. I promise you, it's gonna change your life. It's gonna turn people who are sitting in pews, people who are sitting um, on seats in church sanctuaries who are wanting to do more, it's gonna empower them to make disciples. You don't wanna miss it.
4: Hey guys, this is Brian, and I'm Tony, and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.
5: So today we have on the podcast somebody um, that was requested to us, and Brian, that is one of my favorite things in the world, is whenever listeners reach out to us and say, you have to have this person on, and here's why. Well, that is the case in this situation. Today we have on a um, guest that a lot of you will know. Um, he is a phenomenal preacher. Uh, just spoke at NAYC a few years ago. Uh, we're lucky and blessed to have Mark Brown on the podcast today. Uh, I should say Brother Brown. I'm sorry. That's, that's not due out of disrespect by any way. But thank You're you good. so much for uh, being on the podcast with us today. Uh, there's a ton of things that you could be doing other than talking to Brian and I, but we consider it an honor for you to be on the podcast with us.
0: Thank you for the opportunity to be with you guys. I'm, I'm excited.
5: Awesome. So let's let's kind of do how we do every episode, Brian. Let's, let's start at the beginning, uh, Brother Brown. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, how you got involved, um, stuff like
0: that. Yes, sir. Uh, Actually, shorted... hey, before you
5: get there, before you get there, I have
4: to jump in because I don't want to forget this at all. But um, there's like a picture, I think it was your Twitter profile picture, it may even still be, of your uh-huh. face pressed against the glass at the pulpit <laughs> at General Conference. Did you do that as a spur of the moment thing, or did you set in plan or like, you know, I'm to put my face against that glass during the sermon?
0: <laughs> so so (laughs) that's a that's a powerful question so um a quick backdrop on that story is i did not have a plan going into general conference i i remember um months ago months prior to that whole sermon preparing for it and the lord spoke to me and he said you want to impress people don't you and i'm like oh (laughs) and so like i stopped I stopped preparing the sermon and um, my my pastor taught me, don't prepare a sermon, prepare your spirit. And so that's what I did. Like an hour before general conference is when I found a place to pray in an empty room. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment what to preach. I walk up into service. I'm sitting on the front row before I get asked to step up. As I'm sitting there worshiping God, And I'm like, just kind of thinking through what I'm going to preach about. I thought about the thought of God putting something in front of me and wanting to reach for it. I I could see it, but not get it. And I saw the glass pulpit and I was like, that'd be a That'd be an illustrated point. And so it was just before I went up there that it came to me. And so somewhat spontaneous, somewhat not. So that's a very
5: uh unique picture. i I, I delayed uh unmuting my uh, mic because I was going to look for it real quick. that's that's pretty cool. and that's a that's a unique uh, perspective that that your pastor had taught you to prepare your spirit instead of a sermon. Uh, how is that how has that worked through your
0: ministry? Um, so virtually every every Sunday that I preach, in uh, Watertown, uh, I do not have a sermon until about an hour or two before service. All week, I, uh, I, I basically I pray and read my Bible, not looking for a sermon. I just try to enjoy my relationship with God, and enjoy the Bible, enjoy conversation with the Lord. And um, when it comes the day of preaching, you know, I'm again, I'm praying, read my Bible in the morning. I start off around three in the morning on a Sunday, four o'clock sometimes if I sleep in. And uh, as I'm just talking to God, all of a sudden, like he'll just give me like a, a picture image or a word. And the moment that happens, it's literally like an avalanche or like a cascade of like scriptures just begin to rain, And it just comes together. I don't know how to explain it other than throughout the week i hang out in in the word quite a bit and um, when god quickens a thought to my mind it's as if all those verses just begin to rain down and uh, i use a lot of verses and scriptures when i preach typically and that's the same thing with like nayc i didn't have a sermon prepared and um, it was uh, a week before that god began to deal with me about something and, um, and then, like when I went up there, I basically, you know, they asked you know, hey, do you have your notes and outline? blah, blah blah. I was like, no. And uh, <laughs> made them a little nervous, but anyways, I just so why up,
5: why did they want your notes and outline for?
0: Oh, like it was like a, I'm trying to exp- like the day or two before when you go uh, to the arena, they have everyone that's involved go in and you have the opportunity to basically sing preach whatever you're doing to i don't know calm your nerves get used to the environment the sound check all that kind of stuff it's not mandated that you have to but from what i've been explained a number of people will preach through their sermon, or sing through their songs, and all that kind of stuff. So when I was there, they uh, asked for it to go through all the media and slides and all this stuff, and I didn't have that. That they asked me, well, you go ahead and preach your sermon, and uh, I'm like, uh, I don't, I don't have, I don't have something to preach, you know. And so they're like, <laughs> well, say something. So I'm like, uh, check one, check two, check one, check two, and so I was the goober, I guess. Oh, my word. So that is very unique in
5: itself right there. (laughs) So you you've you've talked about, you know, that you preached at N.A.Y.C., which that's that's one of the uh, pinnacle moments in probably just about any uh, preacher's life that could that they they could say that they've done that. Um, Go back to the beginning, um, if you will, for us and, and, and kind of tell us about your childhood and how you got involved in ministry. Um, I know that your early years is where we're going to talk a lot about today, um, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about who you are, and then we're just going to kind of dive into your story because it's it's an awesome story. And um, for those who don't know your story, don't stop listening to the podcast, but once you're done, you could go to YouTube, and I believe it's a six-part series, correct? That you... Uh you put out about your story. Is that correct?
0: Uh I don't know which, which one we're referring to. There's a lot of, I guess, <laughs> series and explanations of
5: right. Of, there, uh, I forget background. who put it out. There, I think it's a six-part series that tells your story. Uh, but we can go but go we'll dive into that later. I, I want our listeners to hear this anyway. <laughs> so yeah. tell us a
0: little bit about uh, your story. Yeah, so my mom and dad are first generation. Um, my dad was Baptist. My mom was Catholic, uh, in name brand. They weren't into church. My mom was in a gang. She went to prison for attempted manslaughter. Uh, they were addicted to cocaine, whole nine yards. My parents get saved. God miraculously delivers them. I'm born. I have an older brother, older sister at the time and a younger brother on the way, my parents raise us, uh, in the truth. And, um, anyways, come middle school uh years is when i backslide from my sixth grade year to my senior year Uh, a whole world opened up to me in my middle school years and it led to my descent and my struggle and anyways my senior year i was just about to graduate and i was in a church service and the pastor was preaching. my parents always made me go to church i fought it i i rebelled against the church i intentionally ruined uh, settings, uh, anytime I had to go to church events. I mean, I caused a lot of intentional problems, uh, cause I had a lot of anger and wrath and uh, vitriol against the church. And, um, anyways, in that service, my pastor was preaching and I mean, I could feel the flames of hell pretty much, you know, just fervently against me and, um, I ran to that altar. And every ounce of snot and tear that can come out of my face did. And uh, I I made right with God. And I apologized to the church. Uh, I asked the pastor for a microphone. And I publicly apologized to the church because I, I did that much damage. And um, anyways, I prayed through. So that's my prodigal story. And God dealt with me shortly thereafter to go to Bible college had a no idea why, like, why would I go to Bible college? What am I going to do with a Bible degree? And, um, but I went and, um, then God, uh, dealt with my wife and I to, uh, move to South Dakota. I'm from South side, Chicago in the suburbs. And, uh, but God dealt with us right after graduation 15 years ago within this week, I moved to South Dakota and basically, uh, relaunched a church work, a church plant in Watertown. And, uh, I have been here for 15 years as the pastor. And that's my story in a nutshell. But that's not your whole story.
5: Um, (laughs) You, you, whenever we got the email um, at uh, the crucial conversation, gmail.com, shameless plug. uh, If you guys have these people that have these incredible stories, feel free to, to message us there. But, you know, our listeners that suggested, you to us was talking about this guy has a whole different outlook and a whole different view of media. And um he's just he's got a, a testimony that came out of media. And I was just so confused. I was I was trying to figure out because everybody knows Mark Brown, the preacher. Everybody knows, you know, they they see uh they see you on YouTube, they see you at these conferences and these um these huge events, but they don't know your struggle. They don't know your, 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 your story. Um, kind of tell us where, um, your, your whole media addiction came from. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Um, so my, my sister, um, she, she wasn't raised in the church in the beginning because she was part of my mom's, uh, previous marriage. And, um, so my sister, when my parents got in church, she, you know, she ended up getting the Holy Ghost baptized, but she still had a streak of the world in her. And, um, and she messed up as an early teen, uh, off of memory. I want to say she, she had a child out of wedlock at age 15, uh, then another at 16. I think the first one was a miscarriage. And, um, anyways, she dropped out of school, left the house at age 16. And My, my uh, parents, they would let me go to my sister's house sometimes, and I'll never forget going to my sister's house and I could watch whatever I, I wanted. And she had a satellite TV and I was sitting there and I was watching a, a movie that was basically the movie at the time, huge blockbuster hit. And I'm sitting there watching it and there was a PG-13 movie. And it was the first time I've ever seen a pornographic image. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget the the impact that it had on me. It completely just like shocked me. And I just sat there. And when the, the movie ended, it basically, you know, just went to the next show. But the next show was at PG-13. It was rated R. It was getting later in the night. And it was even more aggressive and more sexual in content and content in the nature. And then after that, and I, mean, I I was literally like, I was like glued to the the couch. I, I, I couldn't leave. And the next show was at PG-13. It wasn't rated R. It was not rated at all. And it was literally just full-fledged just onslaught horrific pornography and that is that was a world that opened up to me that i knew nothing about i knew nothing about it and it was that day that literally reconfigured the way i i looked at females the way i thought and it was no longer you know girls, as friends, it, it was, it was, it was like an object to attain, to try to reenact what I saw. And that began my descent, just basically digging and finding and looking uh, and exploring the world of sexual activity. And I, uh, I later went to Blockbuster Video and I ended up getting a job there and that just continued to compile you know into my addiction but not just pornography just just media it was like a whole nother world i just dove into because growing up you know we were mostly sheltered from from uh uh, movies and media and it, it began to progressively change over the years but that was my big floodgate that opened up and um I'll I'll stop there. I don't know if you want me to continue ex- talking about that. Yes, you can continue. Absolutely. Say it again. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. We want you to continue. Yeah, we don't. We I'm don't sorry. want to catch you off. You can keep going. Okay. Um. And so, anyways, the I, I I don't know how to explain this quite clearly, other than like when I got exposed to pornography. And that world of sexuality opened up to me. I, I never talked to anyone about it. I never heard anyone explain anything about it. And the idea of self-gratification, you know, masturbation never occurred to me. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in trying to basically fulfill desires with myself by watching something. It was kind of like a conquest. I wanted to actually go find somebody. And be with them. And that's where my sexual addiction basically uh, went into. And then when I prayed through, when I was 18 years old, I I knew, like, okay, I'm not supposed to be sexually active. Uh, I'm supposed to keep myself until I find somebody and we get married. And so when that happened, that was the first time I actually struggled with, you know, the, the temptation, you know, of, of self-gratification and masturbation, things along that line, because now I'm trying to keep myself away from sexual activity. And that's when like all of a sudden the, the surge of thoughts of, of all the things that were archived in my mind began to flood in. And it was, it was a horrific battle. And so I thought, you know, well, the only way to, to, to fix this, you know, is get married. And so I got married when I was 20 years old. uh, And uh, my wife, she, she's from North Dakota and I'm from uh, Chicago, Illinois, two different worlds, but we met through friends, Bible college. And, uh, and so when we got married, I just figured that's, that's secure. That's a resolve everything's taken care of now or everything's fine well anyways it uh shortly thereafter we we moved out to South Dakota and uh to basically start up the church work it was basically a closed work that's been an ongoing effort since the 70s it was kind of like a duplex like a split level home that we moved into and we lived in the basement and it was a It was a tiny basement, (laughs) like, you know, when I'm four foot, nothing, basically, and I could almost touch the ceiling. But we lived in that little dungeon and uh, it didn't take very long to get uh, isolated and depressed because it was a completely different world for me. Uh, Because in South Dakota, your nearest neighbor uh, in apostolic faith would be 100 miles away. And, uh, in South Dakota, uh, there's just six churches and all the ministry of those churches basically are, were two to three times my age. I was 22 years old at the time. I was married a year and a half. And, um, we got discouraged pretty fast because here we are trying to dig out a work. We're trying to have a move of God. We're trying to have revival. Nobody's coming to church. When people came to church, they were freaked out of their minds because like Pentecost is a non-existent Christian culture in, in this part of the world, it's pretty much Lutheran and Catholic. And I just got very discouraged. I got very defeated. And it was in those downtimes that the enemy began to like leverage the way I felt and began to resurface all those suppressed, uh, sexual archives and nature that was in me that I never learned to deal with. I never dealt with them. I basically, you know, I prayed through, went to Bible college, got married, thinking that's the solution, but I never ever let God deal with that area in my life. And so now when I'm isolated and everything that I was, that pretty much I I was cocooned at Bible college, I was at church six, seven times a week, a church service, whether it be student chapel, teacher chapel, uh, midweek Bible study, then the missions uh, trips on Friday, Saturday, then church Sunday morning, then church Sunday evening. I mean, it was church nonstop and you're surrounded by people. But once all of that surface and cocoon was removed from me, it was just me that remained isolated. And I began to have to deal with things I never dealt with before. And it was in that lonely place, in that isolated place, all of a sudden, all that dormant and that sediment material that was in me that I never dealt with began to surface. And now I started getting confronted and bombarded with sexual temptation. And and that's when basically pornography resurfaced. And I'll never, um, I'll never forget <laughs> when my wife, she, she headed out to go to work and I was in that basement and I was watching porn and my, uh, my wife came back in the house cause she forgot, she forgot something. And, uh, when she opened that door and she saw me, she just looked at me and I looked at her. I mean there was there was nothing I could do. I was exposed. she saw me and she just headed out and she she left and it was it was a horrific moment and i I literally was just defeated i I, I just wanted to die. I just wanted everything to be over i I wanted nothing to do with anything anymore. And, and so I just built walls. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to my wife. I didn't talk to, I, I, I just, I put a cocoon around me, not of people, but just walls. And I, I, I was quitting the church, turned in my license. I was walking away from my marriage. I was walking away from everything. I was so depressed. I was so alone, and and that's that's the place I got to, where God began to. Um, I mean, God, I wasn't feeling God talking to God at that moment, but that's when the the one of the major turning points began to happen in my life. So I'll stop
2: there. I don't know. We'll yeah, keep so rambling.
5: I don't know about Brian, but I've got a wealth of questions here. Um, One of my biggest questions is um, whenever you were um, dealing or battling with all this addiction, uh, was it just continuously going on through like Bible college and through um, uh, getting married and starting a church? Or was it like coming and going in phases Um, because uh, we had talked to somebody else, you know, um, about this this subject? Uh, about a year and a half ago now and they were telling us that you know it just progressively like it just gets just keeps going and keeps going you know it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and you know until you you know face it and just come face to face with reality that there's no chance that you can just take this on so were you like always dealing with this all through all these stages of life or was it coming and going you know at different phases
0: well it like like I mentioned when I was when I was backslidden, you know, it was I was just living out those fantasies. But when I got into church, you know, I was not watching pornography. I was not engaged in, in, in sexual activity, but I definitely had the temptation, but I never I never sought out pornography as this 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 escape. All I know is I had the temptation, like the idea of self gratification, uh, was, was just so weird to me. It was just so gross to me, to be honest with you. And, um, so I was like, I I need to get married and it wasn't the only reason why I want to get married, obviously, but it was definitely a major thing. But it was when we moved to South Dakota, it was when I came here that when i was isolated and alone and all of a sudden when i got depressed and we weren't seeing success whatever that word even means you know when all that began to compile then it was like a floodgate like a spring just surged of everything that was suppressed everything i never dealt with it happened in that time frame it I, i i wasn't I wasn't, uh, uh, watching anything prior to that. If, if that's what you're asking, if that's what you're referring to.
5: Yeah, it was. Um, I, another question I want, I had was, um, when you were dealing with, uh, the word you're using is, you know, not being successful there, uh you know, and you were slipping into that depression. Do you think it was, uh, just a test of the enemy um, to try to take away everything you're trying to do for the kingdom and throwing your past back into the equation and causing there not to be success, um, do you think that was a big factor in it was, uh, you know, the enemy playing your your
0: um, struggles against you? Yeah, I, I, I believe it's definitely a significant part of it. You know it's not everything in the sense of like it was still undealt with flesh undealt with past but the enemy who is the keen observer of our struggles and our behaviors he's going to use whatever he can to leverage it against us and that was definitely a a trigger point for me was media and um, as i said i was very bound by media and it it was it was a time when i did start to turn around because there's some miraculous things that happened it was it was a wife that interceded for me it was it was family that interceded for me that pulled me out of it it was a friend who drove he felt quickened in the holy ghost and he drove all the way from indianapolis overnight him and his wife to watertown south dakota and um yeah i i uh, It's very, it's very, uh, it's like PTSD, man. (laughs) Go, go, opening it. But God used him to come and speak to me when he came out here, and that's when the Lord gave me that word: "I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost." As you guys were referencing that General Conference sermon, God used my friend, and uh, it was one of the most near out of body experiences I've ever had. I've had a couple of them, and this one, I I remember, I'm sitting in this tiny little building we're using for church and we're sitting there and he's talking to me and I, I, he didn't know the details that was going on in my life other than he was quick and he began to share a personal struggle of his and uh as he's talking all of a sudden i literally like it's like my body got sucked out or my spirit got sucked out of my body and i was set on a pinnacle and i'm staring and watching this conversation between my f- friend and i and God like widens the screen, and I see a panoramic image of the big picture of what's going on and what's to come. And as soon as it happens, like I, 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 I ushered straight back into my body in that scene, my friend. And God gave me context, and He gave me clarity at the see the bigger picture. And it was a major turning point for me. And it's when the process began of when I went into deeper prayer, deeper consecration, and and the word that God began to show some things to me that really altered the course of of how I conducted my behavior myself after that. So
4: so did your friend, you said that he didn't know what was going on, he just came to minister to you unknowing uh, with it, being unknown to him exactly what you were dealing with or had you told him before? I can't, I'm sorry. I think I missed that.
0: Yeah. I did not tell him anything. He, like I was work, I was working at Starbucks at the time. <laughs> I remember I was, I was um, working on the espresso machine and he walks in. And when I saw him, I was ticked off. I, I, I knew I, I, you know, accidentally come to South Dakota. I just knew like he's there on a mission. And I wanted nothing to do with it because I already, I already had my mind made up. I'm done. I, I contacted my superintendent. I, I, I turned in my license, everything was done. I was gone. I was checked out. And my wife, uh, you know, we were done. Like we didn't get a divorce. You know, there was infidelity, but like, I just told her I'm done. You need to you need to move on. You go with your parents, go your direction. I'm going to go my direction. I mean, it, everything was done and he came and I just, I just knew like he's on a mission to save me, (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't tell him the details of anything.
5: So what does that do for you uh, when you do see that? Because obviously God is still in the middle of this whole situation, especially whenever he can quicken someone's spirit. Uh, You know, for me, it is the most uncomfortable thing in the world for someone Uh, to, um, I'm going to use a slang term, but read my mail. Um, It it almost bothers me to a point where I'm always constantly checking myself. But you said you had already turned in your license and everything. And uh, I'll just be honest with you in the United Pentecostal Church. um, You know, when you turn your license in, uh, you know, even willingly, that's, that's something that they take very seriously. And, uh, you know, you're not just going to, um, be a part of a lot of things after that. I'm just being very right, blunt. Right. So yeah, well, of- let
0: me let me say this for clarity's sake. I gave I gave it to my superintendent. He did not process it. Gotcha. Okay. He I- he held it and he 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 begged me. I mean he I, he, he he was his name's Gary Leg. He's no longer alive. But he um he drove. He drove from Sioux Falls to Watertown, and he got on his hands and knees in that basement I was living in, and he begged me. He begged me not to do it, and and I gave it to him, and he never told me what he'd do with it. I thought it was over, but he was praying, and he held on to it because he still believed that it was God-ordained that I was in this state. He was persuaded, he saw something I did not see in myself. And um, and so what I, I prayed through, when I snapped out of it and I reached out to him, he said, I, I knew God was gonna turn this and I didn't turn in your license. And, uh, but I, I did officially step down from the church. We had a business meeting and everything. So we had to have another business meeting And basically, go through the the legalities of me being the pastor of the church, but I never had my license officially ended. If that helps clarify purpose.
4: Yeah, I I, I got to ask. uh, Let me jump in here. Let me jump in here. I just got to ask because do do you feel like uh, are, are you one of those guys that has just a whole lot of friends? Or do you kind of feel like most of your life that you're kind of a, alone? And the reason why I'm asking is because you have so many people that, that came and helped you, even not knowing how much help you really needed. And I'm wondering, are those friendships you had cultivated for a long time? Or was it just a few people that you had close? Because my question in that is, looking back, do you wish you had gone to these people and told them, if you had that relationship with them what you were going through or uh h- how would you handle it now versus the way
0: that you had that, that it actually played out okay uh a couple of things one i i i was more of a loner you know i had acquaintances what you would call friends but there was nobody i really talked to daily there was nobody i confided in i had friends, but it was truth be told, it was surface, or I don't, I don't want to cheapen it, but it wasn't, it wasn't personable. But when I went to South Dakota, it became very clear that I was a loner because I was isolated. I did not stay in touch with people. I did not contact people. And so that just compiled the issue of having to face it and fight on my own by myself. But anyways, my friend, he he came like I won't replay that story, but he him and I now are close. We're that point we were kind of close, but we weren't as now we have got more depth in relationship, all that kind of stuff because of that. We have ongoing friendship. But now today I have five close friends that I talk to consistently that I confide in regularly. So there is I, I am different now than I was then because even after that moment I really didn't have friends. I I always went through things alone. And it took time for me to actually build relationships with friends that I trust, that I can confide in, that I can talk to consistently. And so yes, to do I wish I would have done things over. I wish I would have confided in people. I wish I would have had more deep meaningful friendships, but I didn't have those.
5: I've been uh, really interested lately. What's been piquing my interest lately is um, men, Yeah, their feelings, their emotions, how they uh, process things, how uh, we feel like we have to be uh, uh, Superman all the time. You know, that gets very, very tiring at times. And one thing that I've, I've learned constantly out of everything I've listened to, looked at, read, uh, watched preaching videos, one thing that stays constant and remains the same, no matter who the speaker is or who the author may be, everything that I have read, it always says that man is not meant to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Um, So for if you will, for the next couple of minutes, will you kind of talk about how your relationship with your wife was through that time and how you've already said it? She interceded for you when you were ready to give up. She was not. She was willing to get in the trenches and she was willing to hold on. And then even your superintendent was not willing to let you walk away, even though that's what your desire was. And you know your friend that traveled all the way from Indiana was not willing to let you just give up, and it's all because those people have a a role in your life because we're we're developed and we're created to not be alone. Will you talk for the next couple of minutes about relationships and and being connected? With, cause I, I'm sure now, like you, you're. Well, I'm, not, I'm not. I can't assume, but I, I'm pretty sure that your relationship with your wife is on a level now that it, it, it would have never been on before um, had, had this you know not taken place. But if you will, just take the floor for a couple of minutes talking about relationships.
0: Yeah, my wife and I, are, our relationship is healthy. It's very transparent. It's very open. Uh, we disclose everything. We share everything. And our our relationship is more meaningful than it ever has been. And so the, you're exactly right. We are not meant to be alone. And when we try doing it alone, we will fail. We will fall. You know, the enemy loves to to basically pick people out and isolate them and then just do them in. But the, um, my wife and I, you know, we were, uh, what do you call it? As I said, transparent with each other, accountable. You know, like now I have, I have filters on every one of my devices, you know, my phone, my tablet, my laptop, she sees everywhere I go. She asks any questions she wants to ask. She knows passwords of everything I have. And I'm not, I'm not defensive about it. I don't feel uncomfortable about it. I'll never forget one of the times God spoke to me as near audible as I've ever heard of him. And he said, if it was not for your wife's covering, you'd be in hell right now. And so I have nothing but the highest honor, respect, and reverence for my wife and to see her literally be like Jesus and to know my sins and to forgive my sins and to cover them. Because love covers a multitude of sins. And that's that, That's our relationship is so much stronger because there's nothing hidden between her and I. and. The longer we've been together, we've been married 16 years now, the more I love her. And the more I learn about, there's still things I'm learning about my wife and her past that she's just opened up to me about in recent years, about areas that she's never shared with anybody and vice versa, things that I've never shared with anybody. And that's the power of, you know, having those relationships that you feed and you but it's again that that transparency that openness you got to be vulnerable and it's hard like you know your guys's name of your show crucial conversations it's when you bring up those things that are never brought up that bring people actually together and um and so i'm i'm, I'm very thankful that I, I don't fight this alone anymore we pray together we talk together we share about the things of god together like i don't try to pastor the church in my own mind only to myself. I'm discussing ministry with my wife consistently. I'm discussing things with her frequently. And same thing with my friends as well. And I've had very, I'm very transparent with my story with people because I I thought I was the only one. But as I have shared my story about media and not just pornography, there's there's more to my story with media, but I I've, I've, I've realized that there are countless others going through what I've gone through, but they don't talk to anybody about it, or no one has ever talked about their life with them. And it is only endeared people, the relationships I have. I have a number of people that will reach out to me and ask me questions because they've heard something about my story and, uh, it's, it, you could only help <laughs> by being connected to people and transparent and open. What would you
5: tell the person right now now, that may not even be struggling with pornography, but they're battling with the same addiction that they think they broke time and time again. Um, They, they think that um, um, they're past it, but whenever they're alone in those vulnerable times, uh, the enemy keeps throwing it back in their face. What do you tell people like that?
0: Well, I, I, isolation is very dangerous, but it's also at the same time, very needed. Like in this sense where you need to learn to be isolated with God, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that, you know, uh, uh, a time we like to be around the party, the house of mirth, but there's something to be said about being in the house of mourning, basically alone away from everything that the party that we're always consistently around. Cause when you're A lesson I learned from being from Calvary Tabernacle to South Dakota is at Calvary Tabernacle, Indiana Bible College, I was consistently busy, 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 busy with with church, which is positive. But I was riding the coattails of other people's spirituality. I was riding the coattails of other people's consecration. I was reaping the benefits of their sacrifice, and I thought I was okay. It was not until I was removed from that environment that I could actually be alone but my problem was i wasn't ready and i mean i literally nearly almost lost everything because it was so overwhelming but if if we can learn to have daily consecration daily prayer deep prayer extended prayer deep bible reading deep bible relationship that's when the, the god pulls that scalpel out if you could be alone long enough with god consistently enough he will reveal The inner man, the spirit of man is a candle of the Lord, and he searches the inward parts of the belly. God wants to basically show you what is within you, but we're afraid of really our suppressed memories, our suppressed addictions, our suppressed struggles. And when they begin to surface, we're like, oh, we don't like that. So we go back to busy, we go back to distraction, we go back to entertainment, we go back to whatever. And so, but when it finally came all out, I had to deal with it. And I would encourage people, if one, if you're not praying daily, you need to be praying daily. But to take it a step further is, and and this this is where things kind of get controversial because people get a little defensive. But the deeper things of God are found in extended time with God. And people that are only praying five minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. I'm not saying they're going to hell in a handbasket because that's not enough. But I'm saying those deep things, those deep embedded things in us, it takes a longer time in the presence of God to flesh that out and let Him begin to dig it out. And that's where I have discovered many people will ne- never get to the resolve of their inner man because they don't spend extended time with God. And the average person, only, only, a little under 60% of people in our movement pray daily and their average prayer time is 17 minutes a day. That's our movement. I've surveyed thousands of people and, and I'm not, I'm not belittling their devotion, but I'm saying they're, all of us have deep suppressed things that we have yet to give to God, but God, if we want more of him, he wants more of us and when i i'm thankful for friends and they have helped me but when i learned to give more of myself to god and disconnect from media and disconnect from entertainment that is when things changed in my life drastically i'm like i had adhd lmnop or whatever you call it like (laughs) i i i thought i could never talk to god more than 10 minutes I, and i'm talking like here i am supposed to be you know a preacher a pastor you know a church planner I, I i couldn't focus i couldn't think i couldn't concentrate i couldn't anything and but when all of a sudden god began to show me in the scripture of that you know the deep uh, psalm 42 and 7 deep call from the deep the depths of god calling for the depths of me when i begin to disconnect from this world. And he began to show me, you know, uh, I, I won't go this route yet, unless I don't know how much longer we have here, but bro, when you've I began got to give, all the time in the world. Okay. But when I began to give myself to God further, that's when he began to give me more direction. This is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. And for the first time in my life, I mean, I could see clearly I could hear God. I could hear his voice. And God delivered me. God set me free. But I, I think people are afraid to be alone with God, of what they're going to discover, what He's going to reveal in them. Because I'm telling you, it, it, like I, I, I've done multiple. This is not a boast or anything. This is just a factual information. I have done multiple ex, uh, seasons of extended fasting, and in and, and what I've learned about extended fasting is I used to think fasting, you know, is about always changing all these external things that are in my surroundings. But inevitably every time it's something internal in me that God extracts out of me. It's just like this this pus that's inside of me. Every every time, every time he reveals something that's inside of me. And I'm like, oh, that's in me? (laughs) And he could purge it and he could cleanse it and it's character development. And um I'll stop there. maybe you want to interject or something because I keep rambling.
5: it's It's great to me. Uh, I was listening to a sermon today. I actually sent it to Brian. Uh, there's a lot of cringeworthy parts in this sermon, but I, I I did finish the whole thing. And there was something in it that uh, there was a um, a phrase in this sermon that almost convicted me. And it's it's something that I've been in church my whole life and you know I've I've seen you know everything from uh you know Holy Ghost baptism, you know, I've seen the typical apostolic Pentecostal things in my life. And you know, I've always just thought that God's blessings and his favor, um, you know, he blessed you with those and they're resting in your life. And we've heard We've heard those pastors say, you know, you're you're living in God's favor and all this stuff. But this this preacher today, he he said that the blessings of God are not self-fulfilling. We have a responsibility to do something with them yeah. that they're 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 given to us. But what do we do after they're given to us? And, bro, I, I can't help but thank the whole time you were talking about how blessed you truly were that people didn't give up on you, that you, you, yes, we, and we've already talked about it that yes, you were willing to, to give up, but they were not. And I, you know, Brian asked a question earlier and we kind of got sidetracked, but he asked, um, you know, what would you tell yourself now? to the kid that's struggling who you are, how would you, how would you go about changing the whole way you, you went about this process?
0: Well, uh, there's a number of things, but here's one just to connect to uh, the, the trigger. And um, I'm trying to remember how one of you stated it earlier. Um, but let me just, let me just go this, this route into answering that question. One thing that I wish I would have done differently. One, if I had a time machine, I go back to one moment in my life to do it over again, it would be that night at my sister's house, that exposure to pornography. That was, that was crucial. But what stemmed from that down the road is just media and entertainment addiction. And what I didn't recognize is my defense mechanisms were down Constantly because I consistently streamed, I consistently watched, I can. Cons- I, I was addicted to video games, I was addicted to movies. I worked for Blockbuster Video. People don't know what Blockbuster is, it's Brokebuster now. There's only like one left in like Salem, one Oregon. store, store. <laughs> holding the fort down. But I, 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 so when I got when I got uh, you know b- back in the church, or whatever I mean, I my my media habits did not change. Okay, I, I mean I, now I'm going to church. I'm loving church I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible, but nothing in my media life changed. You know, Jesus said like this in Matthew chapter twelve, you know, verse forty three. When when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he seeks rest, finds none, wanders through dry places, and he'll come back and he sees the house that he got kicked out of. And it's empty, swept and garnished. that that word garnish means it's clean, neat and in order. Basically, we're good in, as Pentecostals is getting some unclean out of us and then like getting everything swept and garnished, looking just right. But it's not enough just to remove something when whatever you remove, you got to replace or it's going to return and that spirit came back and it came back with a vengeance and so you know, God got the unclean things out of me, but I never replaced what I removed and it returned and it came back stronger than ever. And the, the open door that I left was media and I consistently watched. it. And this is what I've learned from my own personal addiction and my own personal behavior is it doesn't have to be porn to be porn. And so I, I here, here's a story for you. I was, I was, um, my wife and I, we, we made some, some decisions, you know, after all of this stuff happened that, you know, we'll never have a TV in our home. We're, 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 we're just not going to do that. We're not going to have Netflix. We're not going to have Hulu, whatever. And I'm not telling people what they need to do. I'm just telling my story. Okay. And so that's what we did. And so like, we, we made this radical stance. Like, I don't, I don't want to, you know, fall again I don't want to get back into porn and all that kind of stuff and so here we are we're not going to have that in our home and then we started feeling like we were weird because like you know other people are watching other people are doing this that and the other we're feeling like maybe we're the oddballs we're the weird people so so after a while we we decided to get our um, go to our public library get a a card and uh, start renting Andy Griffith show from from, uh, the library. And so we're having the time of our life, you know, after a hard, long week, trying to dig out of work, trying to have church and we're just depleted because my wife and I did everything. And we just wanted to relax, let our guard down and watch, watch Barney and Gomer and his one bullet. Oh, gee, Andy, you know, all that fun stuff. And, you know, Otis.
5: Okay. You can't, you can't just graze right over that. (laughs) (laughs) that was spot on I just looked down at my phone I was like what in the world happened
0: (laughs) but so that that was like our our go-to show for just having a good time unwinding right and I'll never forget watching this one episode it was called the manicurist and uh, it's about this beautiful woman who comes to Mayberry and uh she does nails and she's looking for a shop to set up and she does it in the barber shop where they all get their hair cut. And the guys are all like, you know, you know, nervous they don't know what to do. But this beautiful woman opens shop in her, their barber shop, and all the guys are gawking after it all the whole time. And she she's pretty and she looks Pentecostal. You know, she's got the she's got the skirt on, there's no cleavage and and uh and skirt to the knees, all that good stuff, you know. But the entire show is about guys just staring at her and we're watching it. The last scene as she's exiting, she's leaving Mayberry, the cameras panning in on her backside and it's bouncing left and right. And they're playing some, you know, music to it. And all the guys are like breaking their necks, staring out the window. And while that's happening, I'm sitting there next to my wife and I'm, I'm, I'm having, I'm having lustful thoughts after preaching a Sunday service after ministering in my own home. Now, next to my wife, watching a show from the seventies, having lustful thoughts. And I felt convicted and we turn it off. And I, I tell my wife, I go, babe, I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And she goes, well, I go, I, I feel convicted. I I'm, I'm having lustful thoughts about this, this lady. And she goes, "Wow, that's weird. I'm, I'm, I'm feel convicted too." I'm like, "You're having lustful thoughts about her too?" She goes, "No, no, no, no." You know? <laughs> she goes, "She goes, I feel convicted because we have this 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 drug and alcohol ministry and jail ministry, and I keep laughing about this guy struggling with alcohol going in and out of jail, and talking about you know Otis, the town drunk." And we both felt convicted at the same time about two different things within the show. And all of a sudden, we just said, "You know what? We have this 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 open window in our lives that maybe if we just close it and change our diet, we can be better focused." And it was at that point we made a, a hard line in the sand that you know what we're just we're not going to to entertain these things anymore and Mm -hmm. when we close that i promise you my friend it it is as if i have never seen more clearly in my life my 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 ability to focus and to pray the the amount of daily sexual thoughts of you know fornication adultery temptations like that they drastically plummeted and all of a sudden my ability to actually have trained focused thought and prayer increased and all of a sudden like i could i could actually like see and i'm free because when i when i try to wean myself off of those temptations i would still have them constantly constantly and i didn't realize it but i was regularly putting images before my eyes that fed that appetite, though it wasn't porn, though it wasn't a rated R movie, though it wasn't something explicit, it was just the subtle things on a consistent basis that fed the very carnal nature that I struggle with. And anyone that's ever been addicted to substance knows exactly what I'm talking about. It just takes certain things to trigger that appetite, to whet the appetite, to trigger the attention. And so since then, and again, this is just the way my wife and I have lived. Like we we just don't watch movies, we don't watch Hollywood, we don't watch entertainment, and it sounds absolutely like you know crazy to people these days because you know like it's just the world we live in. But I have never felt more free in my life. I, I mean, I I'm so thankful that I literally. I love life. I love this weird thing called actual reality, interacting with my kids, interacting with my wife and and I'm not being bombarded on a daily basis with these thoughts, these imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. God finally showed me. He gave me he gave me Matthew chapter 5 verse 27, whoso looks on a woman to lust after. He says, why just pluck your eye out. It's better it's better to go to heaven looking like a pirate than to go to hell with everything intact. And so I just did that hard that hard line thing in my life. I just I, I want to go to I want to go to heaven with one eye if that's what it's going to take. And then Matthew chapter 6 verse 22 23 Jesus said this. He says the light of the body is the eye. Literally the portal the entrance into your soul is through your eye. And when I saw that, I'm just like boom that's it. Like that's, that's what I wish I could tell myself over again. I know this is probably the world's longest answer to the world's shortest question. (laughs) What would you tell yourself back then? I wish I wouldn't have been addicted to media because for me, that's where the problem was. It was my diet. I consistently fed myself the things of this world and daily I struggled with the appetite of this world. But when I removed that diet and I replaced it with the word and I replaced it with the prayer, like I'm free. Like last year, everybody you know going crazy over 2020 and uh, the average media time for people's three to five hours pre-COVID, but since COVID it's, it went up to uh, six, seven hours a day, people are on, on media taking in content. And, uh and I again this can sound self-righteous. you could roll your eyes but it's it's not meant to be that way. And anything I say about like my my personal life it's not because I think I'm more spiritual. it's because I'm more carnal. like my hard lines that I put in my life is because I'm carnal and I, I I don't trust my flesh. but I mean I we didn't watch any movies last year. In fact, I did something with the extra time that was given to us. I read through my Bible every single month last year. The whole bible every month the whole bible yes sir i i created a new bible reading plan and uh i i read through the bible every month and, and some people say well man you don't get nothing out of that oh phew, i beg to differ i'm telling you i i got i got more notes more sermons more compilations from the things of god just being marinated in his word three hours a day there's there's nothing there is nothing like the word of God. It is, it's bread, it's life. It feeds my soul for every day. I was so used to feeding my flesh and giving into my, my carnal appetite. I'm so thankful that I've been able to have a shift of appetite and a shift. It's like, if you if you've ever eaten McDonald's your whole life, and then for the first time ever, you get to eat a steak, a real hamburger, you realize, man, what have I been doing? I, I've been I've been eating junk for so long, and I, I believe Jesus is coming back. When I read, you know, Ephesians five, you know, it says we have got to redeem the time. These days are evil. I've I've wasted so much time. Forget the morality side of media, just the time. I, I've wasted so much time, and um, our church now it's so beautiful we have a we got a powerful apostolic church it's growing like we're we're in revival and our church is growing and i wouldn't trade it for the world it's it's because i i for the first time in my life i have focus i'm not distracted and i can hear i can hear the lord and i've lived so long without hearing his voice and I I can't keep rambling. Maybe you got a question or something. I'm sorry.
5: <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> I mean, this is great stuff. There was a time
4: now before the internet when it was pretty regular to hear preachers preach against TV. Uh, it's come to the place now where preaching against TV is almost made into made light of. That it was it was silly. It was behind the times. And very often I think about it that I think that the people that preached against television were a lot more ahead of their time than we give them credit for. And, and and though I'm not an anti-TV person myself, it's hard for me to justify a lot that's on television. And, and so I bring this up for this is that you, you do a lot of work with young people. You see young people now at youth camps and when they're walking to the softball court or fields, I said court, that goes so how much I know about sports, but uh, they're walking to the softball fields and they've got the phone in their hand as they're going to the softball field and they got the phone in their hand as they're going to the basketball court. And and in just a moment, our youth can download anything in the world that's at their fingertips at any moment. And, and, I, and I wonder from your perspective, what are your views on the importance of youth ministries and pastors and if Sunday school teachers, what have you, the age is getting younger and younger of preaching more about the dangers of what is just beyond that next search on a, on a phone or the next click on a television show. Um, How important is it to you, you think to try and help our young people make
0: wise decisions when it comes to media? It's the issue of the day without a doubt. Uh, it's 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 the the most common number one thing I preach when I go places, if the Lord allows me, but it's what frequently I preach on. I address media um, because it's where we live and it's what I came out of. I'm very passionate about it, but I never I never come at it from a superior, better, holier than that approach. I try to warn people the the, the dangers, the trap of it. And if I if I was exposed to pornography at, at, at from a PG 13 movie 25 years ago, what's PG 13 today? And and my wife was exposed to it when she was in elementary school at someone else's house. You know, it, it, this is again 25, 30 years ago. It's it you're and most people that get addicted pornography, it's 90% a plus is it's unintentionally. And everyone walking with a device, I, I again going back to the surveys, like I I asked lots of questions. I surveyed people and uh I used to not believe this, but literally over 90% of people, uh uh kids in our movement are exposed to pornography and the average age is nine. And um the the uh I was about to go a certain route, I'm gonna go back here, and go back to your question. But it, it is something that needs to be preached. it needs to be addressed, it needs to be taught. But st- This is a personal opinion. I have no factual information on this. This is just a gut feel. It's hard to address an issue that you don't have spiritual authority over. And I think that is a struggle in a lot of ministers that they feel almost as if a hypocrite if they try to address some things because they struggle with some things it's those that have deliverance that have the spiritual authority to address it and you know the bible says in hosea chapter 4 verses 6 through 9 is a profound portion of scripture but it says like people like priests basically you reproduce who you are you can't reproduce something other than what you're you are and and the like, for instance, our, our church, I, there's no I don't have a written rule in our church Thou shalt shall not have a TV. There, there, there's nothing like like some people draw some weird conclusions about our church they've never been to. Like, oh, you go to Brother Brown's church. You, you, you're not allowed to watch anything, you know, whatever they want to say. <laughs> but they, they don't have a clue. I, I don't preach and teach that way. I just share my life story. With our church all of our church knows about my pornography life they they know everything about because i'm very vulnerable and transparent and open in our church and but the here's the here's 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 the outcome of it in our church very very few people and it's usually like the newer folks that still have their media addiction but most everybody has been set free and liberated from in our church service you look at our congregation All the the kids, all the children, I'm talking about kids ages three to nine to 10 to 12, they all sit in the front row with a clipboard taking notes. There is no devices in any of their hands. None of them are on an iPod. None of them are on an iPad. None of them are on a device, not a single one. We don't have a nursery in our church. That's intentional because I, I, I don't want to compete with devices and distractions. I want children to learn to grow up in a church service. Because I'll lose to a device every time, mm. but if they can learn to be engaged in the service, you know we give instead of giving pacifiers, we give we give smartphones to kids now to shut them up. It's it's the craziest thing in the world, and it's dangerous. It, it, it we're, we're we don't even think about. We have these all these unintended consequences that are playing out, and now we're raising up a generation that is just constantly dialed in and plugged into the system instead of the sermon, instead of what God is doing in the moment. And our church, I'm telling you, man, we have a, most kids in our church that are uh, uh, ages five to nine all have the Holy Ghost. And most of them get the Holy Ghost around age five because they're plugged into the church service. They're dialed in, they intercede, they trim, they lay hands on people in the church. They lay hands one for another. It's It's powerful, it's powerful. But going back to the youth, like you said it has to be addressed it has to be discussed but it's hard to preach about something that you're bound by i i i can name this preacher but i won't and everyone would know who i'm talking about virtually everybody and i'm sitting at a camp that uh at the table with the preachers and this this preacher's talking all the young ministers and he's just talking about a rated r movie he watched and i'm i'm sitting there like what in the world what in the world are we doing and and it, it, he's not saying, oh, it's okay to do this, and you can still be a preacher. But that is kind of what you're saying, because all these young aspiring ministers are looking at this minister that they look up to, that's talking about this rated R movie that was so awesome. You, there's there's unintended consequences from that, and I don't I I don't want I don't want to reproduce what I was. I want to reproduce who I am in God. I want to reproduce the the I want the nature of God, the holiness of God to flow. You know, it's like like Subway. I hate Subway. I can't stand Subway not because like their sandwiches are pumped full of formaldehyde, but I can't stand Subway cuz the smell. Like I could go to a gas station, if I see a Subway, I'm not going to go to it. Because if I go to it, I'm going to smell like Subway the rest of the day. I didn't buy a sandwich. I didn't buy no chips. I didn't order no pita bread, but I smell like Subway the rest of the day. So I and guess kind now's uh
5: I guess now's the wrong time to tell you I own a Subway franchise.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but it's like if if the point is this is like you don't have to be, you don't have to eat Subway to smell like Subway, but to be around it. You could smell like it. And so it is with this world. It's just like kids that say, well, I, I went to the party, but I'm not drinking. I went to the party, but I'm not sleeping around. But you're still there in that atmosphere. And spirits attach themselves. They connect themselves. And then you walk away from there. And that's why a parent, when a child comes home from a party, the parent's like, where have you been? Oh, nowhere. What are you doing? Nothing. But something in that parent's like, you smell like Subway. <laughs> What's going on? And, and that's that, that we have a whole generation that that's basically in in digital subway and they don't they don't know why they're struggling in the thought world they don't understand why they're struggling with all these sexual feelings and in these I, the identity crisis well when you're watching something that's basically pumping the agenda of identity crisis it's pumping the agenda of homosexuality it's pumping the agenda of this world. Of course our minds is going to be flooded with the struggles in this world. But you it's it you got to cut that diet, you got to remove that diet. And I'll say this as well just in case you guys think I'm Amish or something. We <laughs> we we take it, we take in content, you know, uh, uh it's a uh, replace what you remove. So for us like we do adventures at Odyssey, we do Superbook. If you never heard of Superbook, it's a fantastic app uh, uh that we've went through that basically it's, 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 there's, there's Bible story entertainment for our children, but they're getting, we're very intentional about what our children take in. And, uh, they, we do homeschooling and we use media content, you know, lecture, live lectures, things like that. We, we use media, but we're not so casual with it. We're very intentional about it. And, uh, but if you, if you, if you're very intentional and methodical, and you're very involved with it then you and you're prayerful about it your children they'll have a feel they'll be able to discern good and evil so like for example uh, the other week my daughter really loves uh, learning spanish she's she's eight years old and she does the app do du- i don't know if you've heard of it but it's a language app and uh she approaches me and she says this is wrong i go what she says uh, she played it, and what it was, was uh, the, the the question was, uh, do you have a wife? And the response is, no, I have a husband. And it was a guy asking a guy, do you have a wife? And this is a children's app. And the, the Spanish response is like, no, I, I don't have an, una esposa. Tengo un esposo. I have a husband. it's it that's 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 how subtle our world is they interject themselves into everything their agenda and so through this children's language app they're teaching homosexual marriage Mm.
5: you know i'm i'm kind of glad uh that you brought up uh um, your children um my final question is me and brian's been communicating uh but uh My final question, he may have something, I'm not sure, but for me is I, you have convicted me, man. Uh, I know that uh, whenever my wife and I, we were planning on having a child and we, we got together and we're like, you know, we're not going to just put her in front of an iPhone or an iPad and uh, we're not going to let her be like that. You know, for the for 98% of the time, we haven't done that. But what we are guilty of is whenever she comes home from day, daycare and she comes home and sits on the couch, we'll just instantly, without even her asking, we'll turn on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse or Puppy Dog Pals or, you know, something that mm-hmm. is that time waster, that time filler. We're allowing Disney to become our babysitter. And, yeah. um, you know, I wanted to ask you um, – First of all, that makes me want to what you everything you're saying that makes me want to go get her from daycare and spend some more quality time with her. But what my final question is, what did or how does your children, um, how does your children, uh, how can I word this properly, how do they navigate through their friends of you know, well, we're not, we don't watch Disney or we don't partake in that. Are they, are they cool with that? Are they upset with you? Do they ask questions? What, what is it that they do? um, You know, how do they take it? I mean, because they're living without those cartoons out of something that um, convicted you, that something that you're safeguarding, that they may not understand right now, but they, they will know later. How do you go about having those
0: conversations with your children? Well, first, i, I I'm going to have I want to have any and every conversation with my children before the world does. So all three of my children know about pornography. All three of my children know about my testimony. All three of my children know about molestation and where babies come from. I've had all those conversations with my kids because they're already doing that in the world system right now. or, children are already talking to other children about it because they've already been exposed to sexual perversion. So I'm going to give it to them biblically. I'm going to give it to them from my own story. And so I let my kids know this is why we have our home run this way is because at your age this is when your mother was exposed to pornography. At your age is when, you know, this happened in my life. And so I want to guard you, I want to protect. You. So my children know like my son i just i just got him his, uh, his, his 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 he's he just turned 11 years old and i just got him his first ipod and and we were setting it all up. this just happened yesterday so just setting it all up it was his birthday and um going through all the restrictions and he says yeah dad make sure we do this i don't i don't want any i don't want any pornography to show up on this i don't want anything and we went through the entire thing together so i'm i'm i involve my kids and we, we discuss things and they're very innocent. They're very pure, but they're very educated as well. But um, we don't live a double standard. So it makes it very easy. You know, if, if you keep letting the guard down every now and again, it's going to make it difficult. But my children are very active. They're very involved and we're very involved with them. So they don't know any different. Like they, they don't know any different. So like they, they don't know they're missing anything. Now they do have friends that are not in the church that watch and do whatever, but I've told I told them I go, if your friend pulls out a device and is watching, you need to step away. I do not want you by that friend watching something because I do not know what you are watching and and they they listen. And I tell i go if if you can't listen to that rule, then you're not going to hang out with that friend. Just let your friend know. Don't, I I tell them, don't tell them they're going to hell. Don't tell them that that's wrong. Don't tell them that they're evil. Just say, Hey, I I, I don't, I don't want to play with the phone. Let's play Let's go hang out. So like I've educated my kids proactively about it Two, Uh, we we don't let our kids just go in anyone's house. We're very, very protective about that. And the ones, the homes they do go into that people that are not part of our church, I I talk to the neighbor and I, I let them know, hey, I know your daughter wants my daughter, you know, to come over. But this is what I ask. And I I don't, I'm not judging you in any way, but I'm just requesting that if my child's in your home, I don't want any devices on. I don't want them playing any video games. I don't want them watching any tablets. I don't want any TV on your home. That would just be my only request. I understand if that's overbearing for you, but this is my reason for it. Not that I'm accusing you that you would watch anything inappropriate, but things happen on accident. And when I was a young child, I saw something and my wife saw something. So this is something we put in place as parents. And I've never had a parent mock me, make fun of me, insult me. They're like, wow, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, w- absolutely. And so it's, it's, it's that clear communication with people and they respect those boundaries, They'll respect those guidelines. And then they'll say, oh yeah, there's really nothing good on TV anyways. I don't even know why we have it. You know, we just kind of watch the news. It's, it's funny, you know, uh, like everybody almost says the same thing. They all say, yeah, nothing but filth on there anyways. And, uh, so our children they don't feel shame they don't feel embarrassed they don't feel awkward they don't feel uncomfortable um because that's all they they've known and they're educated as to the why we don't just tell them do this do that without explaining it we explain things to our kids that has
4: been some great that's, stuff yeah i think it's very you know people respect people of conviction yeah they they I believe that I want to. I want to thank you on behalf of Tony and myself for being transparent with us and 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 speaking uh, to these subjects that sometimes it's awkward to talk about, but it's absolutely crucially important that they are talked about in a church setting, and because it's it's where people really live. And so, I, again, on behalf of the crucial conversation, I want to say thank you for having a very crucial conversation. Thank you for letting me be a part of it. God bless
0: you all. What's the deal? Yes, you too.